If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 536. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, mclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. You get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll. And you get great deals on new and forthcoming courses. I don't have any new courses coming out for the rest of 2022, but it is the time of the year to think about Christmas gifts. So McClanahan Academy classes are never out of stock. There's never a distribution problem. Nothing. You've got them, you buy them for that McClanahan fan of yours, and therefore you get great content. You help keep the podcast free of charge. I will be running deals as we get closer to the holidays. So think about that for a gift. Also, you can click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. That's also a great gift. Buy one of my books, right? You can, I've got many, many of those. The Jeffersonian Tradition, Southern Scribblings, my latest two, but others as well, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America's, Probably my best-selling book. Also, The Founding Fathers, A Guide to the Constitution, The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Founding Fathers, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Real American Heroes, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, Forgotten Conservatives in American History, so on and so forth. There's really good stuff out there. So consider getting a book. Go to that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can get my book plate if you want. You can put my autograph on one of your books. It's a great thing to do. All these things are great ideas for gifts. So when you're looking for gifts for Christmas, whatever it is, think of uh, think of all these great things you can get. Now, best way to support the show is to let people know you're listening to it. Send me those show requests. And this is a listener-generated episode in a way. I know that, that the individual listens to the show, but I saw that he posted this. And it's a, it's a piece by Joel Kotkin. Now, Joel Kotkin, I talked about him back in June. Joel Kotkin uh, writes for uh, Claremont Institute sometimes. He's friends with Michael Lind, who is certainly uh, one of these people that believes in a, in a class war in many ways. This is, the culture war is more about class than culture. And I think that's something that's important to realize in all of this. And I talked about it, again, back in June. I can't remember what episode number it was, but I did a podcast on this, and... Um, I've talked about Michael Lind as well. I've covered Michael Lind. And they're both kind of in that same vein. They're not necessarily, um, they're not conservatives, but they're not leftists. I mean, you could say they're kind of conservatives. They're more in line in some ways with Sam Francis's idea of the bureaucratic state and what it's doing. Uh, Sam Francis, and I, I'll probably have to cover this essay at some point, uh, when he uh, talked about that particular element back in the, the beautiful losers idea back in the early uh, early 90s and he wrote a book on it 
but you have this notion that there's cult there's a culture war in America, but underlying that is really an economic war. And Kotkin is certainly in line with that belief. Now, he wrote a piece entitled, Have We Reached the High Watermark of Woke? And so uh, this is an interesting piece, and I'm not necessarily buying all of it. I don't know if we've reached the high watermark of woke, but I will tell you that I think people are getting really tired of it. So he says, over the past decade, the woke agenda has crested like a giant tsunami, covering virtually the entirety of academia, the media, the corporate world, and even the military. The Gramscian concept of the long march to the institutions embraced by 1960s radicals like Germany's Rudi Dutschke has achieved overwhelming success. Yet, there are signs that the woke progressive model may be losing its appeal, even among some liberals. The bulk of public, public opinion is not in progressives' favor. In the U.S., activist progressives, notes a recent study, represent 8% of the electorate, barely half the size of moderates, and barely a third of the size of conservatives. What they lack in numbers, however, they make up for, for with single-minded determination. Progressive whites, notes the Atlantic, are the most intolerant of all Americans led by those in the Boston area, while people in smaller towns and cities seem far more open. Now, let me stop there for a second. Look at what he just says here. What is the real problem in America? What has always been the real problem in America? It's the New England problem of America. And when we start looking at issues going, I mean, throughout American history, who is the driving force in all of these radical things? And this is where we get into this idea of race and other things. It's not really ever been minority groups in America. It's always been left, left-wing whites. White people, uh, liberal whites, are really intolerant. I mean, John Brown, right? Uh, William Lloyd Garrison. These people, the name of tolerance, are very intolerant. They don't tolerate anything that disagrees with them, and they will want to exterminate you over it. I mean, the examples are many. And again, the New England problem, the, the Boston area, New England political Puritans are the worst. They're the worst. They fan the flames. They create tension. They call the other side all kinds of names. They are the real problem in American society, Puritans. It's the problem. It's why I did a, a podcast a little while back, the real problem with Puritans in America. I mean, this is how the Puritans screwed up America is how I, what I titled the, the podcast. But, I mean, this is the issue here. New England, Boston, New England, white liberals. And everybody in real America. You see, that's not really real America. That's Yankee America. In other words... The real problem in America, it begins with a Y and ends with an E. It's Yankees, right? It's Yankees. It's always been Yankees. It's always been these people in New England, these people in the burnt-over district of New York. They've always been the rabble-rousers, the troublemakers. And these are the people now that Straussians, neocons, and others start calling conservative. We talked about this with Thomas Jefferson in the piece I talked about on Monday. I mean, how we have a situation where it's okay to tear down Lee, but not okay to tear down Jefferson. And the arguments made in favor of Jefferson are just weak. They're stupid. But it's this political puritanism. It's this kind of high and mighty 
Yankeeism. That's a real issue. It's Alan Gelzo. He's a Yankee. Yankees are a problem. Now, you can be from the North and not be a Yankee. Okay, there's lots of good people in the North. There always have been. In fact, you can look at 1860 if we just want to focus on that one year. Abraham Lincoln only got 39% of the popular vote, right? So 61% of the population didn't want him as president. Only about third, a third of the population supported the Republican Party. Only a third. 60% of Americans, North and South, were conservative, essentially. I mean, they didn't want what Lincoln was offering. That's why it's amazing what happens and how that small faction was able to persuade enough in the North that they had to go to war and coerce the South back in the Union. There were abolitionists who didn't think it should happen. Heck, you've got abolitionists like Garrison calling for secession in the 1840s. So what happened? I talked about the anti-slavery constitution yesterday and how James Oaks in that position. Is it anti-slavery? Is it pro-slavery? And this is a big issue, and it's a big issue because of how it affects the way we think about America. Is it Lincolnian or is it Jeffersonian? And Lincoln is no Jeffersonian. He might, he might give lip service to it, but he is not really a Jeffersonian. So again, it's New England. This is the issue. The scalps of those targeted by the woke are strewn across the landscape. There's the cancellations of ideologically unacceptable speakers the delisting of books and the increasingly selective media coverage, evident particularly in the 2020 election and its aftermath. Yet the very vehemence of progressives, their lack of humor or grace, may prove to be their undoing. This is interesting. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, this is what Kotkin is saying is going to happen. But he has some, some evidence for this. He says, Among Republicans, wokeness drives them further away from the mainstream media as many of them now regard certain outlets as little more than vehicles for proselytizing progressivism. Well, this is true. But it's not just the nut jobs on the far right. <laughs> See, Kotkin and Lind, I mean, they, they like to throw jabs at people on the right. A recent Rasmussen survey found that 58% of likely voters at least somewhat agree that the media are the enemy of the people, including 34% who strongly agree. I think more than anything, the media has done this to themselves. People now have so many choices and so many things they can see, and they're starting to see that the all the media really is. And it's always been this way. We, see, for years we had this belief the media was somehow objective. They were objective, a nonpartisan, non-opinionated people who just gave you the facts. Just the facts. It's Walter Cronkite. It's this idea that there's no bias whatsoever. We're just giving you the straight facts. But the media has always been controlled by people who are political activists, essentially. That's what I've always said we need. We just need them to be open about it. CNN can be the Democrat news outlet. And Fox can be the mainstream Republican outlet. And then you can have other things. This is what the Internet has done. And this is why both sides want to clamp it down. Because they know if they can't control information, they lose. Because when Americans finally re really see what's going on, they don't like either of the mainstream parties. They're both awful. This is why I said the Republicans will always be the stupid party. And the Democrats are worse in their own way. But Americans are seeing that the media is biased. They know it now. And they know they selectively pick things and choose things and do what they want to do. And it's distorting the way we think about America. 
Most of the people that write for the news are so stupid they couldn't even pass, uh, I mean, a basic logic course. Journalists, many journalists, are dumber than bricks. And we, of course, with, with television and other things, it's how you look that matters more than what you say. Oftentimes. Cancel culture is no more popular than the rest of the woke agenda. More millennials oppose than support cancel culture, notes a recent morning consult poll. The older generations are much more firmly against it, but most heartening is that those in the younger generation, the so-called Zs, are the most hostile to cancel culture, with 55% disapproving of it and only 8% supporting it. That's interesting, I think. I was a little shocked by that, the Zs, the people behind the millennials. Now, these are the people that are teenagers, uh, maybe early 20s, somewhere in there, I mean, late teens. You're getting to that generation. Now, the millennials are moving into their 30s, and I think that you know they're starting to see that what's really happening is silencing of anything. I mean, these these people do want to hear things, and I'm always heartened when I when I say things that nobody's heard before, maybe because they never got it in school, or and they're just it's like a sponge. They just want it. They just want somebody to say something different. They're tired of all the nonsense. Everything is political. Now, this next sentence is has always been true. And I'm going to talk about it tomorrow and what the left does to overcome this. Simply put, what progressives are offering the populace does not much like, particularly on social issues. So progressives are offering the populace does not much like, particularly on social issues. So the population doesn't really vote for progressivism. It doesn't. It doesn't vote for wokeism. It votes against it time and time and time again. It always votes against it. But what does the left do? Well, they resort to the courts. If it wasn't for the federal court system, we wouldn't have most of the idiotic nonsense we have today from the left. They can't win in the realm of ideas because when people start saying these things out loud and they start showing essentially their mental illness, people, normal people are thinking, my gosh, these people are just ridiculous. These people are stupid. These people are mentally ill. They're crazy. So when progressives start showing their true colors... People vote against it. They don't want it. Critical race theory is one of those things. We've seen all of this, right? This is what people vote against. So then he says there's been a record-breaking surge of violent crime, but some progressive politicians and media enablers have refused to combat disorder. Some have even embraced riots, particularly the looting, and back to funding or even abolishing the police. Now, this is interesting because, of course, I saw just uh, as, as I was uh, getting ready to do this, there's a couple of tweets, you know, there was a, a monument in Richmond to Arthur Ashe that was vandalized. And the guy that runs it said, this is, this is vandalism. This is a hate crime, essentially. But where were these same people saying that when Robert E. Lee was torn down? Same thing. You see, people are starting to see the hypocrisy in all of it. You can't take down, you can't do anything to my monument, but I can do whatever I want to your monument. That's not real tolerance. As Kotkin says, that's Boston Yankeeism. That's where we are. And so most Americans, I mean, most Americans were not in favor of tearing down Confederate monuments. The majority was against it. The majority of Americans don't want it. And I know that uh, you had um, Kreitner saying yesterday, well, that's giving lip service to white supremacy. No, it's not. It's just being a realist. Or 
the other piece, uh, Mona, whatever her last name is, talking about how, you know, Lee, I mean, just regurgitating leftist progressive nonsense in the piece. This has not worked out well for the progressives. In the New York City mayoral elections, a black ex-cop won the Democratic nomination against candidates sympathetic to the defund the police approach. Even left-leaning constituencies are horrified by crime, disorder, and massive homelessness, as demonstrated when Austin voted overwhelmingly to end camping on the street. Austin, Texas, again, a liberal area, but said, you can't camp on the street anymore. We're going to clean this up. It's awful. Yeah. People don't want these kind of things. They don't like it. And they don't like what the progressives are selling. And I'll tell you, they probably don't like much of the progressive agenda at all. But they're vocal. They're 8%, and they go out and they yell, and they, and they bang on things, and they, they make a lot of noise, and they sue, which is the real problem. Perhaps most important of all, the far-left agenda pushed by Bernie Sanders and the progressives in Congress, who are essentially setting up a new green, politically correct system financed by taxpayers, is failing with the public, particularly independents. Public support for big government has decreased, notes Gallup, and is now the minority position. In Ohio, a Bernie Sanders-style candidate for Congress was soundly defeated. The Biden administration continues to struggle with low poll ratings as it continues to identify with the progressives. Now, this is important because in the 90s, Clinton figured this out within two years. This is why Bill Clinton won two terms and handily won two terms, his second term. Uh, now, he never got 50% of the vote, but he soundly defeated Bob Dole in 96. Bob Dole was a centrist candidate, but Bill Clinton portrayed himself as the real centrist candidate. Bill Clinton portrayed himself as a new Democrat, a cons- kind of a middle-of-the-road guy, and, and he, he uh, adopted welfare reform, for example. These were his things. Biden hasn't figured this out yet. He hasn't really figured out how to be the centrist guy. If he ever figured that out, I don't think he'd lose in, in, if he wanted to run for re-election in 2024. Uh, but I don't think he's going to figure it out. And I think he's being, look, all Joe Biden wanted was to be president. And I think that he's uh, certainly in a position where he just wants to stay there. And if he has to do what the progressives want, fine. Biden can't figure out what to do. And the progressives are going to ruin the Democrat Party. And I hope they do. I hope the progressives burn out. Look, the progressives should have burned out in the 1880s. It was thought they were dead then. And then we get Teddy Roosevelt in 1901. Race has been a particular problem for Biden. The administration has embraced the racialist agenda of the progressives built around critical race theory. Remarkably, Parents opposing CRT in schools have been singled out as potential terrorist threats that should be monitored by the FBI. I talked about this. This is remarkable. The the school board mom is now, the the soccer mom is now a terrorist, according to the FBI. How stupid can you get? Yet this parents' movement seems to be gaining strength, including in upper-middle-class suburbs and places like Loudoun County, Virginia, the Philadelphia Ring counties and North Dallas, where the Democrats had made gains previously, but now stand to lose ground. Nobody wants critical race theory. Nobody wants any of this stuff. They don't want anything that the Democrats are selling on social issues, on the culture war. They don't want it. They don't want it. They don't want to be told over and over again, you're bad, you're evil. They don't want it. They don't want 
white liberals telling them all that they're just bad people all the time. In 2021, the number of school board recalls has more than doubled from previous years, according to Ballotpedia, and there are numerous legal challenges to critical race theory across the country. Now, tomorrow I'm going to talk about a challenge to keep critical race theory and how, again, Think Locally, Act Locally runs into the courts, and I'll, I'll get into that. But when it comes to Biden's political malpractice, nothing compares to the mounting disaster at the border. Most Americans favor legal immigration, but, su- but support for open borders amid the biggest surge in, le- in illegal crossings in 20 years is not deep. This massive movement of migrants started in earnest after Biden's election and is deeply unpopular across the country. Latinos, including some border state Democrats, are themselves deeply concerned about the mass incursions. Some of them are now shifting to the GOP. What I find interesting about that is uh, Cesar Chavez, who is a hero on the left, a darling on the left. This guy was, I mean, he is the guy from the 70s. He was organizing farm workers. He hated illegal immigration. He hated it. He said it was a disaster for immigration. He was against it completely, thought it was a bad idea. And Democrats, for years, the labor part of the Democrat Party did not want unlimited immigration. They were against it. You go and you ask these guys from, uh, you know, you look at Philadelphia, for example, or areas in Pennsylvania, a lot of labor uh, unions in Pennsylvania. You go ask those uh, steel workers in Pennsylvania, hey, are you for immigration? Hell no. Even if they're Democrats. And a lot of them voted Democrat. They didn't want it, though. They didn't want it. They didn't want any of that. Go ask your trade unions. They're against it. Now, I think some of these people could have been sold out by the leadership in the AFL, CIO, and others. But the idea was to keep wages high. You didn't want unlimited immigration because that knocked down wages. You can't build a building for what the cheap immigrant labor can build it for. So what's happened in the construction industry? Well, you're seeing more and more almost entirely immigrant crews. Building houses, building buildings. This is all you get anymore because it's cheap. But it's not just among newcomers or minorities that the woke are losing their grip. Many longtime liberals have been shocked by the abandonment of concepts of free speech and open inquiry by many Democrats, including some in the Biden administration. Trump may perform like a dime store Mussolini, but it's increasingly clear that the push towards censorship comes largely from the left, which has captured most of the media. Now, (laughs) this is always true. The left has always been the violent, oppressive political group in history. Always. Now, you could say, what about the kings? Okay, most of the kings... I mean, if you, if you want to just separate out, we have popular government and then monarchy. But even if you go back to some of the kings, you go all the way back to Pericles. Pericles was on the left. Pericles was a leftist. The conservatives hated Pericles. If you go back to Athens, say, for example, you find examples of monarchy that were certainly in line with pushing things left. And you can find this in, in Europe and other parts of Europe later on as well. Liberal journalists like Mike, uh, I'm sorry, Matt Tabai, Barry Weiss, and Glenn Greenwald have uncovered the odd ties between Democratic operatives, including in the media, and organizations like the CIA and FBI, once widely suspected as right-wing enforcers. But no, this isn't true. We, we know this. See, what's amazing to me about this is all these people are a little late to the party. 
There have been people crowing about this for years on the right, also libertarians. The old right has always been suspicious of the CIA and the FBI. Always. Libertarians have always been suspicious of these people. So now, the le- oh, wait a second here. The, we saw, we thought the FBI and the CIA were against us, but in reality, they've always been working for us. Of course they have. This is less a shift to the right as occurred with neoconservatives under Reagan and Thatcher and more an intellectual rebellion. As long as Republican politicians remain loyal to Trump, while adopting extreme views on social issues like abortion and flirting with white nationalist themes, there's little chance liberals will embrace the GOP. Now, I mean, again, this is Kotkin. Well, they're, they're flirting with white nationalist themes. No, they're not. Not at all. I mean, this is just stupid. But he's, again, he's, he's trying to position himself. Well, I'm just objective here. I'm, I'm just looking at this objectively. There's the things that they're saying are uh, very similar to uh, white nationalist themes. I mean, I guess some are. I mean, but the, the majority of Trump supporters aren't that. The majority of American conservatives, the vast majority, aren't that. But liberals increasingly can't share the stage with progressives either. The 2020 Harper's Letter Against Cancel Culture, signed by many left-of-center writers and academics and published in a left-of-center magazine, was no endorsement of conservatism. It was a blowback against illiberalism and a stifling atmosphere, which its signatories say has intensified a new set of moral attitudes and political commitments that tend to weaken our norms of open debate and toleration of differences in favor of ideological conformity. Do you think? (laughs) Of course that's the point. The point is power, and to have power, you have to force conformity. If you want to centralize, you got to have conformity, and that's what the left wants. The best way for Biden and the Democrats to revive themselves, as Bill Clinton political guru James Carville notes, will be to detach the party from gender, race, and other lunatics of the faculty lounge, and contrast an approach that seeks reform within the framework of the constitutional order and favors middle and working class upward mobility would work well, particularly with working-class whites and Latinos, as well as the suburban moderates who hold the balance of power in American politics. So this is getting back to what I talked about back in June, the things that he talks about there. This class situation is, it, you've got all, he's got these four different groups and how they're working to each other. I mean, this is what he was discussing there. Perhaps the most impregnable, impregnable part of the woke empire may be the formerly right-leaning corporate sector. The shift to progressive politics has snaked there through the human resources departments and led many executives to sing the praises of and give money to groups like Black Lives Matter, whose agenda, among other things, includes demolishing capitalism. Corporate America has always been left. Now, I know he's saying, well, no, it was right wing. This is what the left always, cru- I mean, they always complained about. They, they, uh, corporate America, we're against corporate America. Bands like, uh, we'll just go to rock music, bands like Boston, right? We're against corporate America. Corporate America is the enemy of the people. And they're saying this is, you know, left wing. Well, that's this idea of corporate America and resistance to corporate America is a very traditional American thing that has its roots in people like John Taylor of Caroline, who was no leftist. And you can make a case for Jefferson, even though he's a reformer, this Jeffersonianism, we call it, this republicanism. Hamilton was no conservative, and he was a fan of corporate America. You see, this is all the thing. Corporate America is always going to support destroying tradition and culture because corporate America is out there for the bottom line. 
Some firms are already acting to enforce wokeness, denying credit and payment services to unacceptably rightist candidates or movements. Google, for example, now routinely demonetizes political movements that offend progressive sentiments, although this standard doesn't always apply to the vitriol of Iran's mullahs or the Nation of Islam. Woke tech firms like Amazon, Facebook, and Google seem particularly vulnerable. As Baria Council President Jim Wonderman suggests, they are scared of their own employees and are adopting positions simply to keep militants in their ranks quiet. So you see these little Wokies have infiltrated all these organizations, the academy, the corporations, and they are vocal. That's racist. We got to get rid of it. That's That hurts my feelings. That does this, that does I mean, this is what happens. And then everyone, well, they're scared of their own shadows and they think it's going to make money and they think if they don't, they're going to get sued. This is where the court system comes in. We need judges who will say to the progressive idiots, no, shut up. Some companies like Coca-Cola may be beginning to rethink swallowing whole the progressive agenda, which has led to a backlash among consumers and local politicians. Coke and Wall Street firms like BlackRock may be big backers of the craze for so-called ethical investing, but they're also deeply committed to making money, including by doing business in autocratic China. Again, all the hypocrisy. People can see it. Microsoft and a host of other firms are helping build China's surveillance state, while others like Kodak take down pictures of what's going on in Xinjiang uh, uh, to please the mandarins. Companies like Apple Emirate uh, emit airs of progressivism, but they are opposing efforts to denounce concentration camps or repression in Hong Kong and would like, likely sit idly by an invasion of Taiwan. I mean, this is all true. The NBA, all these woke things. You can't say anything about China. Big uh, Paramount, big fir- uh, film firms. You can't say anything about China because of the investing in other things. I mean, this is it. We're going to crush quote-unquote, totalitarianism in America, but yet we're going to support it all in China. Why? Because there's dollars behind it. Hypocrisy on a grand scale is nothing new, but the brazenness of all this could begin to wear down the corporate woke tide. This is not to suggest that the dour radical fringe will leave us alone in the near future, given their outsized cultural, political, and societal influence, but at least their assertions are no longer being left unchallenged, even among liberals. If we are lucky, their joyless reign may not ever quite be consummated to the vast relief of most of us. Now, what's interesting, if you give a historical example of this, the Wokies are Cromwell's acolytes during the Protectorate in England. And it went on for a while. I mean, they they abolished Christmas. You couldn't dance. You couldn't listen to music. This is a different type of religious zeal. We're seeing it. And what happened? Well, eventually they were run out of power and you had the Merry Monarch. You had Charles come back in Charles II, and he was great. I mean, he let everything back open again, and people had fun again, and it was a grand time. And that led to a burst of pride in being English and then later British. This was it. I mean, that also led to the Glorious Revolution, where the powers of government were circumscribed. You had the Bill of Rights. I mean, these were things, the English Bill of Rights, these were things that came out of this type of heavy-handedness, uh, heavy-handed activity by the government. And we're seeing it now. And we're, of course, a lot of this is coming from the from the uh, tech sector and other things, but people are going to start resisting these things. They're going to start doing it. And when these companies start losing money, now they're going to have to lose money, though. When they start losing money, maybe they'll come around. I don't know. But I do like this piece. I think that he's on to some things here. Whether all of this happens, I don't know. But fantastic piece by Joel Kotkin. Highly recommend it why I wanted to cover it 
So I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.